RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Today's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition. To get a 40% discount across their entire batch-tested range, use the code RENEGADE40 at www.onacademy.co.uk forward slash elite portal. And of course, members of the Rugby Renegade online subscription program get an exclusive 50% discount plus free access to the Optimum Nutrition online nutrition course. Welcome back to episode 82 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Warren Bradley from Hytro, who are the developers of a blood flow restriction uh, techwear t-shirt and shorts. Um, so obviously we, we delve into blood flow restriction, what it is, uh, what are the benefits for rugby players and, and some of what they're doing with uh, rugby teams and, and other teams they're working with. Um, firstly, I'd like to thank Ryan Gibney, a former guest on the podcast who, who introduced me to, to Warren. Um, and also, as well as blood flow restriction, um, we, we go into Warren's background, which is as, as a nutritionist. He's worked with some great clubs, um, Munster and, and uh, Leicester, to name a few, um, and uh, worked with England Sevens and, and GB Sevens as well. So we delve into that as well. So tons to get out of it if you're interested in blood flow restriction training uh, and or nutrition. This is really one to listen to. So give us give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi, Warren. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Let's start by you telling us a little bit about your background, uh, who you've worked with and, and what sports and teams. Awesome. Uh, well, hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me on today. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I guess, so I, I've spent just over a decade in professional sports and initially it all came to fruition because I was at LJMU uh, under Professor Graham Close's supervisor. And he offered me a role uh, doing a PhD over at Munster Rugby. So that was in performance nutrition. So my first ever gig was over in Munster Rugby, which was uh, for just over two years, absolutely phenomenal opportunity. And, you know, I loved every minute over there. Ireland's a fantastic place. Cork and Limerick, again, unbelievable setup. Uh, and of course, Munster Rugby, one of the greatest rugby clubs in the world. So it really was a baptism of fire working with some of the greats, you know, Ron O'Gara, Paul O'Connell. It was, it was really an amazing opportunity. Um, and it gave me, yeah, the opportunity to really refine my skill set and, and learn my trade over, over a month because it was a full-time position, which at that time, I believe back in 2011-12, there was very, very few full-time performance nutritionists, which was the, uh, the area that I was working with. And so I was actually one of the first full-time nutritionists in the country, UK and Ireland, which was, quite, again, quite a, quite a great opportunity through Graham Close. Um, after Munster Rugby, I moved on to England Rugby Sevens, so under the England Rugby umbrella, but working specifically with the Sevens pathway. And that, again, was a very eye-opening um, job, very, an amazing opportunity, again, to, uh, to wear the England rose, but, you know, have autonomy in my role working with a sub subdivision of England Rugby in the Sevens. And, again, a very different type of athlete to, I mean, obviously, huge crossover, but quite different to some of the other rugby union uh, players and rugby league players and footballers that I've worked with in my career they're um they're the phenomenal athletes the sevens players because they're full sprinters you know they're they're, they're sprinting end-to-end -end of a 100 meter pitch whilst chasing down you know some absolute units getting knocked around you know it's just a crazy sport in its entirety so fueling them short games and then recovering in between games 
kind of became a passion of mine uh, through working with them. And that's actually what informed some of my PhD moving forward as well. So it was great to take the questions I was seeing on the pitch, take them to the lab and understand them and come back with an answer. You know, how do you fuel, uh, how, how do you carbohydrate fuel for a, for a game of sevens? How do you, you know, load after a game to recover your energy losses? You know, it was quite an interesting topic for me. So that was the second job I was in in professional sports and that was just over five seasons actually. So it's quite a long one. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, within that time as well, I actually worked with the GB sevens squad. So that was the run up to Rio 2016. Unfortunately, I didn't get the opportunity to go to Rio. I mean, it costs a lot of money to send staff to those things and being uh, more of a consultant, I understand why they didn't dip their hands into the pockets for me. But um, I was in the 10-week camp leading up to Rio and that, again, was, was a really unbelievable opportunity to be working with an Olympic setup, you know, where, where before it was England Rugby Sevens, it was now GB Olympic Sevens. It was a really great opportunity. Off the back of that then, so we're probably talking back in, 2017 maybe I started going down a route of more consultancy and this tied into me finalizing my PhD so my PhD was in human physiology and performance nutrition and as I said I took questions from the field took them to the lab and, and uh, applied them back in the field when I had the answers uh, thereafter I started doing consultancy and I started working with Leicester Tigers so that was that was only one or two days a month so not a huge contract but again it was great just to be back in that professional rugby union club setup that I'd, you know, I'd missed from Munster Rugby so many years ago that I really, really enjoyed. I also worked with Salford Red Devils. So it was nice to have a different sport, um, you know, another string to the bow, rugby league instead of just rugby union and sevens. And then I actually transitioned into football. So there was an opportunity that came up at Hull City when they were in the Premier League a few years ago through, uh, through a contact of mine, Dr. Steve Barrett, who I actually worked with previously at Munster Rugby. So he brought me on board at Hull City and off the back of that job as well, I also acquired a contract with Derby County. So at this point, I was five days a week working in various different sports in different multidisciplinary teams. And it was really, it was really, uh, it was really eye-opening, I'd like to say, because every single club is very different. Every sport was very different. So applying my trade and practice to the different sports was quite difficult to begin with. But then it became easier as you became kind of accustomed to each of the sports and dealing with certain players, individual players and groups of players and groups of staff and just the politics within each sport was very different. So, um, you know, le learning my trade in one sport was fantastic, but learning a trade in various different sports is really good for me to refine that skill set because I was able to then apply it to any sport I went into. You know, I understood you need to understand the environment you're working in. You need to manipulate your practice accordingly. And you need to get the most from the, the, the subset of people that you're working with. And it's very different from different sports. So that's a very long introduction. I'm sorry, but yeah, that's, that's a kind of a little bit of history about the clubs I've worked with to date uh, and my background in performance nutrition and the PhD that I completed as well. Yeah, no, that's great. And we'll, we'll try and pull on that from yes, but your PhD stuff and, and yeah, interested having to having to deal with sevens and and you know multiple games in a day which is you know we're dealing mainly with 15s guys but that's another it's another thing we you know we need to look into um and also yeah like it, as a as a consultant working in several different clubs at the same time it's a, a real good time, opportunity to have 
you know a look at different environments at, at the same time you know it's um like think over a career you can go to different places but when you're there exactly the same time when there's you know very similar trends in terms of the way we work and things see how the different environments function that, that'd be really interesting so hopefully we'll we'll pull on that but um let's let's sort of delve into what you're doing now with hytro let's um we'll start by talking about blood flow restriction um yeah, as as itself. So so, just give us a bit of a sort of brief explanation of what it is and, and how it works. Yeah, sure. So I just rewind a little bit. So every single club I've ever worked with or consulted with has used this technique called blood flow restriction training or occlusion training, or in fact, it's also called katsu training. You know, there's various different names for it. And again, apologies for the brief history, <laughs> but essentially, I saw that technique being used, and because I was doing a PhD in human physiology and nutrition, I was really intrigued and I wanted to learn a bit more about this kind of, it's very unusual looking, you know, you're strapping someone in, um, or, or applying a cuff, a pressure cuff, and you know, you're causing the legs or arms to swell with blood. You know, you're seeing the veins pop out, you're seeing the leg or arms change color effectively. You're seeing a little bit of discomfort in the play and you're thinking, this seems a bit counterintuitive really. But then when you look at the science and you look at the literature, there's actually thousands of research papers showing how effective this methodology is for augmenting muscle size, strength, power, endurance, bone mineral density. And the actual application of this tech, typically in 99.9% .9 of cases is for rehabilitation, post-injury or post-surgery. And that's because of its impressive ability to regenerate muscle tissues and structural tissues. So my thought process at that time was, okay, so the science is concrete. It works for rehabilitation, it works in the elderly. There's a niche market emerging of people using it for hypertrophy and strength power, et cetera, in individual athletes. But why is it not being utilized with wider groups of athletes? Or why is it not being utilized just more widely for different purposes? You know, why, why are we not using it for strength gains across a whole, you know, an SNC coach across a whole squad? Why is that not happening since we know scientifically it works very, very effectively and very time efficiently too? So you could easily program this in. So I did speak to SNC coaches, I spoke to physiotherapists, I spoke to club doctors about this. At, and luckily, because I was consulting with so many teams, I could ask with loads of different, very highly skilled practitioners about this. And the answer was the same. It was a very common answer. And it was quite simply the tools available made it inaccessible and very cumbersome to utilize blood flow restriction for anything other than rehab, <clears throat> post-injury, excuse me, post-injury, post-surgery, or for very specific individual cases. So... Just as an example, um, a lot of rugby players, as you're aware, have um, issues with the shoulders and overhead pressing or, or pressing in general, is, it can be difficult, it can be painful, especially for those later in a career, you know, early 30s when they've had a lot of, you know, a lot of volume put through the shoulders over the years and a lot of knocks. And we use something called ischemic preconditioning, or I've seen that used in clubs, whereby they'll, they'll strap them in or apply the cuff for maybe one, two or three five minute rounds, depending on the protocol. To basically bathe the joint in blood and to essentially warm it up for, for the for the session so i have seen it used for that in an individual case i have seen it used for hypertrophy in a young academy lad who needs to put on size quickly i have seen there's various different individual uses of it but it's not widely used it's not common practice and it's also it's, it's very i mean the research is emerging but it's kind of it's niche at the moment and what we needed was a solution to the cumbersome and time-consuming nature of current tools to allow us to access all of these incredible benefits that we see in the literature, that we know are there, that we just can't access. So that really has um, teed me up, I guess, to come up with a solution, which was blood flow restriction integrated sportswear, so that we have a device or 
you know, sportswear, in fact, it's not, not just a product, you can also wear it. That is, it's non-cumbersome, it's, it's very easy to use, it's very quick and rapid to apply. It's safe because we've ensured that we have the straps in the right location. We've ensured that the straps are aligned to scientific literature for the most optimal width, you know, for safety and for comfort. We've basically baked every element of safety into the products that we could, whilst also making it extremely accessible so that now practitioners can say, well, I know blood flow restriction works. I can't normally use it because of the tools, but hang on, there's a new product on the market that ticks the safety box, which is a big thing in pro sports, of course. Uh, so it ticks that box, but also it means it's now practically available for us to use in any scenario, which, you know, it's, it's a game changer. And we're starting to see that traction happen in pro sports now, which is really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's my own experience. I've used it a lot for rehab and, yeah, for, for hypertrophy in, in kind of isolated cases, but it's always been, you know, one-on-one. -on -one and it and it kind of, when, when you've got a squad of, you know, 25, 30 players and you've, you're there setting up one guy on the, getting the occlusion cuffs on you can see it's not very good use of your time but this, yeah. this obviously takes care of that um so going you, you touched on a few kind of benefits of it and obviously spoke about kind of rehab and hypertrophy but how how could it benefit rugby players in terms of strength and power and, and how would you kind of use it for that sure so at risk of going again a bit too wide here the, the problem we're having with blood flow restriction training is it's so impressive that it works in so many different ways that we don't want to confuse people so just, just as a kind of underline here, you can, you can improve your fitness, your endothelial cell function, so that's your vascular system, your bone mineral density, your mobility, in, inclusive of strength, power, size, endurance, all the normal fitness markers. You can do all of these things with BFR. So it becomes a tool that you could use with pretty much every single player, but just with a different kind of, uh, with a different practice. You may find that you have a group of athletes that need to hypertrophy, okay? You'll program in extra sessions for them as a finisher at the end of a strength training session, strap in for the last five minutes to augment that muscle protein synthesis outcome. So you're getting a greater adaptation. You may find that you have a load of lads that have weak knees or shoulder injuries that they're trying to work around. You can do ischemic preconditioning with them. You can put them in a group, do IPC with them, and then they're ready to perform with a lot lower pain. You're gonna get more from their session. You may find a couple of lads have hamstring discrepancies which means, of course, it's a higher injury risk if left versus right is a slightly different size, slightly different power strength outputs. You find that if you then bring the left versus right to, um, to a level playing field, you're lowering that injury risk for your hamstrings. Um, yeah, <laughs> the problem I'm having is basically there's so many amazing applications for it. But I would say if I was to hang my hat on the ones that are really important for rugby, top of the list would be for recovery. So recovery is a really unknown use of blood flow restriction training, but when you understand the physiology of how it works in the body, it's an absolute no brainer for recovery because of how simple and easy it is now to implement with the Hydro Performance Techwear as well. So just a little kind of backstory on how that works. Um, it's called passive BFR, so it's the same as ischemic preconditioning essentially. And what we're doing is strapping in the limb, causing a significant metabolic uh, stress in the muscle which basically triggers a cascade of reactions that ultimately leads to muscle protein synthesis upregulation. So the pathway for muscle building is upregulated, but that of course is your recovery pathway as well. It's, it's MPS. On top of that, when you remove the strap from the arm or leg, uh, something happens called reperfusion. So this is essentially all the blood that has built up in that limb. There's a, now a big pressure gradient. There's a differential pressure gradient between the limb and outside of the occlusion. When you remove the occlusive stimulus, that blood is going to rush back past them joints, 
take and carry that um, them hormones that have been upregulated in the limb through the stress systemically affects the whole body. So hypothetically, even if you just strapped in your left arm, you're going to get a systemic effect of hormones because they're going to flood the body when they enter the bloodstream. But also what happens is they remove waste materials. So if you have inflammation, let's say mi micro traumas like bone chips, cartilage chips, stuff like that, that's going to be removed through the blood, uptaken by the body and excreted by the body quite quickly, as opposed to you know the two, three days that it normally takes physiologically for your body to start repairing and, and uh, removing their waste materials. So what you have now is a tool that you can apply in the changing rooms post game, on the coach on the way back from the away game, in the hotel after a game. You know, it's, it's a really easy thing to implement on your own or as a group within five to 10 minutes and you've done it. You've literally done your recovery protocol within that time period. So it's a really effective way to accelerate recovery. So that's the point number one, I would say, as the most important thing for rugby players that I'm seeing from speaking to clubs and how they're using our products. However, of course, for power, strength and size, the literature is quite compelling. We can see that you can increase all of these by, you know, a magnitude of 10% at least, even in elite standard athletes. So, I mean, just to give you some context there, there's a, there's a study on powerlifters and they increase their, um, they increase their one RMs, I believe. So I'd need to relook at the study. It might be three RMs, but they increase their lifts significantly and they're Olympic standard powerlifters. And that's all from three weeks of blood flow restriction training added on top of their training. And the reason for that is because it's a novel training stimulus for your muscle. So say you've not been to the gym in four months, say you've had an off season and your player hasn't actually done any work for whatever reason, you bring them back, a novel stimulus then will get them there quickly. You know, they'll, they'll accelerate quickly with their progression. Well, blood flow restriction training does that in even the most highly trained athlete because it's a novel stimulus. So the muscle's like, hang on a second, I've never done this before. I'm going to adapt quickly to this. And therefore, even in the most highly trained athletes, you will find significant enhancements. So yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive in, in, on all accounts. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And has that led to a way you've tried to kind of periodize the use of it? Yeah, so this is something I'm working on with SNC coaches and clubs at the moment. Of course, Hytro is in its infancy. I mean, the, we only started trading in January. Um, so what we're, what we're achieving now is kind of that network of clubs who are using Hytro. And within that, we've sponsored two. So we have St. Helens and Leeds Rhinos. Uh, the full squad are kitted out, which is fantastic. And what we're doing with them is, uh, is case studies. So we're doing trials with them. Um, actually, Leeds is more of a, a proper research study with the University of Leeds Beckett tied in, hopefully. And we will be looking at the efficacy of all these different protocols using the Hytro BFR Techware for recovery for strength, for power, for endurance, you know, enhancements. And it's really aligning with professionals in the SNC sphere, um, applying my knowledge of physiology, applying my knowledge of the product and taking their knowledge and amalgaming it to find the best protocols for their athletes. Because of course, what we know is logistics dictate everything in a club, everything. You know, some clubs I'll go into, it's just not logistically viable for them to use this product in a certain way because there's barriers in the way. Whereas other clubs, it's a free reign. They can use it however they wish just because of the environment that it's set up in. So it's really interesting to see the feedback from SNC coaches about how they want to use it and how they think it will have biggest bang for buck. And the reason why we've really settled on recovery is the point number one is because we know that all clubs can use it for recovery and it's very effective for that purpose. And of course, recovery is one of the biggest elements of a, an SNC programming, you know, it's and a nutrition program and coaching program you don't want to overload the player you need to allow them time to recover 
if you can improve their recovery, then you're onto a winner. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's a big, big issue we see with a lot of players is they're, you know, they're kind of pushing their training, but they're not necessarily working on their recovery. So it's, it's definitely something they can add, add to that and improve. Um, so we'll just take a little bit of a, a break from BFR for a second. We, we'll sure. just kind of, you know, use your, your nutrition background and kind of delve into that. So what, what's your kind of nutritional approach with rugby players and, and how can amateur rugby players make sort of simple improvements in their nutrition? Yeah, gosh. Well, as I said, it's, it's very different between different clubs and you really do have to manipulate your practice based on the environment that you're working in. So some clubs I've had just complete autonomy where I, I can do whatever I wish with pretty big budgets. Um, now, obviously, Munster's a massive club, so there's a massive budget there at the time. This was several years ago. Um, so for me, there that, that was a great platform to learn from. And what we found a lot with players was they didn't really understand the fueling strategies properly and they were more concerned about body composition. So we know that you need glucose to, you know, to fuel a heavy weightlifting session. So we would be recommending, you know, if you hadn't had your breakfast, come in, you need to have a gel, you need to have a banana, you need to have your protein shake before your session because they've come in fasted thinking, I'm going to burn more body fat. But when you understand energy metabolism, we understand that to get the most out of their session, they need sugar. They need sugars to facilitate um, you know, glycolysis, of course, not lipolysis, which is obviously a more endurance type uh, energy pathway. So getting a player to understand their fueling requirements was a big, big thing for me initially. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, trying to take them through all these pathways, glycolysis, gluconeogenesis, all that, you know, scientific lark. It wasn't any of that. It was quite simply saying, you want to lift big, you've got to have sugars before your session. You want to recover properly, you need to have protein to recover your muscles. You want to um, replenish your muscle glycogen after a game because you've absolutely you know, smashed it today. You've run for 80 minutes nonstop, sprinting, hitting people. You need to have a sufficient amount of carbohydrates. Do not be scared of them. Carbs are not your enemy. And I have seen a shift in, in the positioning of people's thoughts around energy in the past few years in my practice. But 10 years ago, when I first started, they were all petrified of carbohydrates. It was the enemy. No one wanted to touch them. They were on ketogenic diets, paleo diets. And what we were seeing is that their strength scores and their power scores were, you know, they were pretty stagnant because they didn't have these substrate. They didn't have the energy fuels there to actually facilitate lifting heavy, despite, you know, being big, big blokes. They literally couldn't lift to their optimal capacity because they didn't have the fuels in, in their system. So the big thing is really teaching them when to fuel and how to fuel properly and effectively and not be scared of any macronutrient. None of all of them are necessary for different purposes. So it was really getting that education in, in, uh, in place. But the big win for me really has been working with indiv individual athletes in a club. So I work with them obviously in a group setting. I'll do the presentations, we'll do sub subgroups as well. But I've got most bang for buck when I just sit in the change rooms in the morning, I'll take the weights, I'll weigh them in. That's just a typical kind of practice for the nutritionist there. And as I'm weighing them in, I'll speak to them. I'll, I'll try and gauge their attitude, try and gauge our relationship and say, right, this guy, he'll appreciate a coffee. At lunch, I'll take him out for a coffee and we'll have a chat about his nutrition. And if you keep picking them off one by one over time, you'll have got through the whole squad in a few weeks and you can start cycling it and you're creating that relationship with them. Because there's no point having all this information in your head about the science, about how it works, if you cannot practically apply it, it's absolutely pointless. In fact, it's just a prerequisite for the job that you have a master's or a PhD in, in nowadays. You know, more and more people having master's and PhDs, that is just a tip. It doesn't actually showcase how you can actually apply your practice. 
what that is reflected in is how you get on with players, how you build their relationships and how, how you get the most from them. And, you know, you get, you'll have seen it yourself. You get some players who really just don't, just don't give a damn what you're saying and kind of switched off. And you'll do your best to try to turn them around or maybe you'll just make it so fundamental and basic for them that it's like drink more water, eat more protein. You know, it's very basic. But then you'll go to the ones that want to listen and you'll speak to them in a different manner and you'll say, right, you actually seem like you want to learn about energy metabolism on a very top level. So I'll explain it to you because it will help you understand how to get more from your performance. So it's really just picking your battles and making sure you apply your practice correctly to each person to each group to each team and even management you know even the staff yeah it's, it's great advice like to both both of those points like the the hatred of carbohydrates we, we often see it, it gets worse as the season gets on obviously we get towards the summer and the players are like trying to get their beach body yeah. it's like well that's the time of year when you you want to be getting the carbs in because you want to be your performance to be as good as possible so it's um that's frustrating but um and then the other point is and it's the same in snc is you know all the science and yeah MSCs everyone's got MSCs now but you need to be able to deliver that to the individual well to the team and the individual um, so some some great points there um, and now this this next question we ask all the all the guests on the podcast and and you can answer it from a nutritionist point of view obviously but what, what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make the biggest mistake oh gosh and you've kind of touched on one with the yeah. kind of carb phobia but I think I think that has been probably number one for me is the fueling It's the understanding of when to fuel and how to fuel really and it's yeah sometimes they take a bit of more of a blanket approach they'll see online okay you need six grams per kilos of carbohydrate they'll work that out but they don't really know how to periodize that around the day and if they've got a training session in the morning but nothing for the rest of the day if they come in with no carbs because they're fasting in the morning to to look after body fat and then backload it so that they're having carbs in the evening well, whilst your body fats probably won't be manipulated too much, your energy outputs will and your performance in the sessions will. And that's what matters in pro sports. It doesn't, you know, the, the body composition, it is important to some degree, but it's what you get from the session of performance from a player that really matters. How strong are they? How powerful? How quick? How agile are they? And that is hugely underpinned by nutrition, hugely. If they don't get that right, it's almost pointless doing your session with them because they're not, you're not going to get what you need from them. So... Yeah, it's understanding the, the fueling demands of, of that particular day because, of course, it changes every day. You know, a rest day is very different to a single session day, which is very different to a double session day. It's different to a game. You know, they have probably four or five different feeding strategies that they need to understand. So it's really getting them to a point of understanding how to fuel their bodies properly. And that, that's the crux of being a nutritionist, to be honest, in a club. So that's one big point. Another one that I saw a lot was cheat days. So I have no problem with cheat days. Let, let me just put that out there. It's more the psychology around it that I, I take issue with for some players who can't deal with that mentality. So what you typically see, or I've seen a lot, hundreds of times with players is, oh, I can't wait for after the game on Saturday, I'm going to smash two pizzas, loads of ice cream, this, that, and the other. And it's like a reward system. So what they do in the week is they almost punish themselves and they have a really bad relationship with food because day to day, they're thinking about their body composition. Like, I can't eat that that's going to impact my body composition. I'll keep it low because I know on Saturday I'm going to have all this rubbish and reward myself. Now, if they had the exact same calories over that week, but they spread it out so that you had a Mars bar on Monday, tub of Halo top on Tuesday, you know, just to spread it out sporadically, a bit, well, a bit better spread, 
you would not be getting the kind of the fluctuations in your um, insulin levels, in your, in your glucose in the blood. You wouldn't be getting them huge spikes on a weekend, which is going to negatively impact your hormones. You know, that, that's going to impact stress hormone. That's going to impact cortisol. It's going to impact testosterone and estrogen. All these things are impacted when you have a bolus dose of foods like that, whatever the food is really, but especially shitty foods, for want of a better word, that they're having on a weekend. Sorry if that needs to be deleted. Uh, that's right. <laughs> um, so what I typically say to them is, look, if psychologically you cannot do it any other way and you need that respite on a weekend, you need that cheat meal, then that's fine. However, for your body to work more optimally, I would advise that you just have a little something every day to tick you over that's taken at the right time. So it may be after a session, you've smashed a load of glycogen, you want to replenish that. There's your opportunity to have a Mars bar if you want to have one, you know, if, if you're going to. Then you do have the other end of the spectrum. You have players who literally, they, they're not phased by you know, eating well every single day because they're just down the line professionals. But for those who really struggle with it and want to have these cheat days, I do find it's, it's a psychological issue that a lot of them suffer from. And it's borderline eating disorder. And I, I personally think a lot of athletes probably have eating disorders um, in terms of their relationships with food, I would consider a disorder. I'm not necessarily saying, you know, anything very you know detrimental like bulimia or anything like that, but they definitely have a negative um, relationship with food because of the way they're dealing with how to fuel their bodies and then rewarding themselves. And that, that, that can spiral. And I've seen it happen a lot of times. And what you see typically is players with no energy. They'll just be going through the working week and they're just not performing at all in training. Come match day, they're not getting selected because they're not being performing during the week. And, you know, they're shooting the, the professional career in the foot just because they want to have a six pack. So it, it's really understanding when to fuel, how to fuel and not be too over the top with cheat days and, and stuff and stuff like that. I think going above and beyond with any diet like keto or paleo or, or cheat days, for example, is probably to the detriment of the athlete. They would be better placed to understand the foundations of nutrition. What do I need day to day that will actually supplement my health firstly, because that's the most important thing, and then my performance. Thereafter, we'll look after body composition. That's, that's tertiary. That's the third most important thing health and performance are the two most important things yeah definitely and and like i said if they perform better their you know their body composition should should go the right way shouldn't it so well, you would hope so yeah if we've got a good yeah. nutritionist in place you would hope so anyway <laughs> yeah. right let's let's get back into um some blood flow restriction stuff so um you mentioned a bit of uh, kind of research and teams you're working with so what what sort of um research you're doing and, and science looking into the, how to make the, the most out of it sure um so i'll start with our actual proper research study that we've done in collaboration with queen mary's university of london and pure sports medicine down in london too um i say in collaboration they were in collaboration using our product with steer from us to begin with but of course to publish and uh, have no conflicts of interest i had nothing to do with the study in terms of with the participants or with the analysis and, and even the write-up, I've had nothing to do with it. So what I'm telling you is actually what has happened as a product of their study. Um, what we did was we tested the safety and efficacy of the Hydro Performance Techwear. And to do that, we did uh, four exercises, three times a week of upper body blood flow restriction training with the top that you can see on me now if you're watching on YouTube. And it was the typical protocol, 30, 15, 15, 15 repetitions for BFR. And once they'd strapped in, which I'm actually going to demonstrate for people who are watching, this is how simple it is to strap in with Hydro BFR. 
Now, granted, I know the number setting that I'm supposed to go to, so that's fine, but you can see immediately that's worked. And it's a really quick release system as well, so it makes it a lot safer. Sorry for the tangent. <laughs> so, um, so once strapped in, we, did, we used the pulse oximeter, or they did, uh, so they put it on the index finger. And the pulse oximeter, for those who don't know, basically registers the oxy oxygen saturation of your blood and the pulse, essentially. And what we were looking for was the pulse. Is the repulse registered? Yes or no. If there's no pulse registered, that means the, the occlusive stimulus was fully occlusive. We were occluding the arterial flow. That is not what you want to do with blood flow restriction training. You have to be subocclusive for it to be safe. So we needed to test that. So we did. We had 2,160 data points that showed prior to commencing the exercise while strapped in, and then after the exercise while still strapped in, so you've had that swelling happen, we registered a pulse in 100% of cases, and that was for every exercise, for every individual, for every session. So that proved the efficacy of it for subocclusive pressures. Um, we also had a look, of course, at the uh, adverse events. Was there any adverse events that were by proxy of using Hytro BFR Techware? And we found none, so there was no adverse events. So what we did prove was it's safe. And we also proved that it was effective. However, the caveat to that was COVID. So we couldn't go in a lab and do you know, proper ISOK or you know, we couldn't do proper mach machine kind of one RMs. Tendo for power, we couldn't do any of that. So what we had to do was use a validated press-up test. So we did that and we found a 38.8% increase in max press-ups over that five-week training intervention. And this was, that was a, uh, an amalgam of both male and female, N equals 27, but we saw a very significant effect. So that was kind of study number one, just to say, look, guys, this is safe. This is a safe way to apply practical BFR which now means BFR is very convenient to use. And we know, because we know it's safe, SSC coaches and physios in clubs can now look at that and say, okay, we've got some evidence to suggest this is safe. I'm now comfortable to roll this out in my club, maybe as a case study to begin with, but I'm definitely more comfortable to say, this is how the scientific rigor put behind it uh, and we're happy to use it. So that's why now we have, as I said, sponsored Leeds Rhinos and St. Helens. Um, each of them respectively are doing a slightly different study. We're still fleshing it out at the moment, but um, St. Helens, for example, we're doing three different protocols. So we're doing low load resistance exercise, we're doing aerobic BFR, and we're doing passive BFR or, or recovery BFR as we now term it. And that's three different ways to show how effective it is for recovery. So we're using all three methods, but for the purpose of recovery. Okay. So what we want to know is which is the most, what, who's got the most efficacy, which protocol has the most efficacy for, for after a game or after a heavy training session? Because again, logistically, what is the most viable option for that club to use? It may be that passively is the easiest way for them to do it, which I strongly suggest it will be. But then you may have a player who actually wants to do more work. I've seen it a lot of times. They want to go on the walk bike after a game to spin out the legs. So there's an opportunity for a player to wear our lower body BFR garments, which unfortunately I'm not sporting for this podcast, but you can, you can, um, you can strap in with our lower body BFR tech wear, do a 10 to 15 minute, very slow cadence cycle, very, very slow cadence. We're talking 40% VO2 max roughly. So we're just basically going to tell them to go on it and perform about 40% of their perceived exertion. Um, 10 to 15 minutes, what we're going to get is we're going to get that cell swelling, the hormone upregulation, removal of the strap, you get the rep effusion. And also really interesting what you get with this methodology is an extension of the capillaries. So your capillary bed and density is going to increase. So it's called capillarization. And the reason for that is because the muscles become hypoxic. 
So there's a lack of oxygen because the blood is stuck in there. The oxygen has been used for energy. And then all of a sudden the blood is now deoxygenated and stuck. So what happens is the capillaries start to, start to adapt. They start to get stressed and say, hang on a sec. I need to deliver more oxygen and glucose to this muscle so that it can work and operate. I'm going to extend and, and capillarize basically the muscle. Um, so that's a really cool kind of secondary benefit, of course, to the aerobic BFR. Um, and sorry, back to the back to the study we do with um, say Helen. So the other method was the low load resistance exercise, which is your typical 30, 15, 15, 15 repetitions that you see used by physiotherapists. And that will be done um, with something like a press up, because at the end of the day, when you've got a full squad doing it, you don't have 26 bench presses or however many people you need to do it with, but you can all pop on the floor and do some push ups very easily and quickly. And yeah, we're going to look at the efficacy of them three versus one another and see which is actually the best way to recover after, after a heavy training session or after a game. Yeah, cool. That'd, that'd be interesting. And um, a couple of kind of questions occurred to me then when you sort of explaining the different protocols and things. And first, you, you mentioned obviously you're wearing the top and you're developing the, the short uh, version. But just explain um, the, the difference or the benefits. Obviously, if you're on the watt bike, it makes sense to have lower body. But there is also carryover just from wearing the, the top to, to lower body exercises and things like that. Am yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really cool kind of function of blood flow restriction training. It's basically because of the systemic effect of the hormones. So we touched on it earlier, but essentially, once you've upregulated all them hormones in the limb, you know, you stress that limb, you stress the muscle cells, you've created that upregulation. Once you remove it, that's in the bloodstream. That's going to then systemically affect your whole body. So hypothetically, if you have, you know, you've done a very heavy leg session the day before, you have a lot of micro trauma in the muscle, which takes a couple of days to really recover you still have a lot of damage that's being recovered by increasing protein, the, the typical recovery methodologies. But if you did some upper body BFR the next day, even passively, because them hormones are now upregulated and circulating the body, you will actually get an effect in the limbs that you trained the day before because there's damage there. So it's going, it's going to target that damage. And the same goes for kind of structural tissue. So ligaments and tendons. If you, if you have a player that has dodgy knees, for example, in every game inflames them or every game, you know, to cause them a bit of pain. Even if you didn't have the shorts, the upper body garment will still give you that hormonal systemic um, release. So yeah, absolutely. The upper body garment will work for the whole body. However, I will caveat that and say the lower body garments will be affecting or, or used on a much larger muscle bulk. So obviously the larger the muscle bulk, the more significant the upregulation of hormones. So you can imagine after a game, the lower body garments for rugby players with a huge muscle mass may be more beneficial to use the lower body garments however you will still get a very significant effect from the upper body garments so my point then and from discussions with um some clubs we've actually found that some of them actually would rather use the upper body garment because it's easier to implement so they've yeah. said on the bus on the way home we'll just hand out all the tops uh, and they can just pop them on quickly and strap in whereas the undershorts still very quick and easy to use but you've got to put them on under your shorts so you've got to get changed almost so yeah. The logistical barrier there would, would be slightly more significant than the upper body garment. So do we just actually go for the upper body garment and get, you know, a, a 75% as effective result? I've made that yeah. number up, by the way. We're going to do that test. We're going we're gonna to test yeah. that in the labs and find that out. But I'm saying it will be significant. So why not? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and just on the, that, that passive uh, one for recovery that you could do on the, on the bus on the way home, what, what's the protocol for that? What sort of duration? Sure. So 
the research tells us it's typically two to three rounds of five minutes of passive BFR strapped in a little bit tighter than you would typically. So practical BFR has been validated to be used with seven out of 10 subjective measure of tightness. And that again, we've just done our study with Primaries, like I just mentioned, and we use this. We actually say 70% because seven out of 10 gets confusing with our number system. Um, so we say 70% subjective measure of tightness. And once you found that strap setting on your hydro garment, you know where to go every time. That's for normal low load resistance and that's for normal aerobic BFR. For passive, for recovery, because you're not doing any exercise, because there's no contractions, the literature tells us to go a little bit tighter. So 70 to 90% subjective measure of tightness. So we strap into that level. Um, of course, there's gonna be tolerance levels here as well. That's something to note. So you may find that a player, he, he may find it quite intolerable, you know, at the higher ends, just because of his pain threshold, because of where his nerves are situated, for example. So you take him down a notch, you take him to where it's tolerable, but it should be, I don't want to use the word painful. It, sh it should be uh, a little bit uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah, it yeah. should be uncomfortable, let's be fair. You know, if, if you want to adapt in the gym, you, you shouldn't be comfortable. You should be pushing and, you know, your last couple of reps on your 10 RM bench should be very difficult. It's the same with this. It should be quite difficult. You should be under a little bit of stress to cause that adaptation. So anyway, you will find very tolerances between players. It's just finding their tolerance level. Um, so you, yeah, strap in 70 to 90% and you do it for a five minute round passively. Then you take it off, unstrap, allow the blood to uh, reperfuse, go back around the body, create a bit of homeostasis, three minute break, and you go back in for a second round. Now there is research to suggest that a third round is very beneficial. There's also kind of limited research in this area. There's only a few papers on passive BFR for recovery at the moment, although it is emerging. And that circles back to the reason being that the, the tools available make it really difficult to actually do. So now we have the hydro garments, we will be testing this hypothesis and say, we'll get a whole squad doing passive BFR and we'll find out the efficacy that way. And we're also gonna test it versus the lower body garment, which is great. So protocol, 70 to 90%, two to three, five minute rounds of passive BFR with three minutes rest between. That makes sense. Right. Uh, so let's look at the questions. Um, yeah. Oh, no, it was my other question. That's why I've gone blank. Um, yeah. The, the other question that occurred to me earlier, and it was it, kind of because someone's questioned me on it before, and I didn't quite have the answer. And I know um, that uh, like fast twitch fibers can get preferentially recruited even with low loads. That's That's been proven by research. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's um, right. But I was questioned once saying, well, but the way you're performing it is all kind of uh, slow. And so it, you're just doing hypertrophy with them. You're not necessarily increasing strength and power. What, is there any research or, or is there kind of different training protocols that you found that develop power that would kind of allay that sort of, that fear that you're just hypertrophying them and not, and it's almost teaching them to, to function slowly? Yeah, I mean, the research all uses the, the, the same protocols and the outcomes are, it, it's a weird one with BFR because it actually gives you about 10 outputs from one from one thing. So even low load uh, resistance exercise BFR will improve your muscular endurance, will improve your bone mineral density, strength, power, size. It does all of these things because of the hormonal upregulation that you're getting. So yeah, you're completely correct. The fast twitch fibers are recruited consequently of the hypoxic state in the muscle. So the muscle stress, there's no oxygen. And what muscle fibers work independently of oxygen, it's fast-twitch fibers. That's why they're recruited. So 
what you're getting is a is a is a stimulus in all of your motor units in the muscle. So you're recruiting all of your muscle fibers, irrespective of exercise that you're doing. But you will get strength and power outcomes from that. You still get strength and power increases from that exercise, just without loading the joints. That that's kind of the benefit of BFR. You get all these strength improvements. You get power improvements. You also hypertrophy. But it's all independent of loading your joints. So that's why it's used for rehab typically. Um, unfortunately, I can't go into the, the specific mechanisms of how it actually increases power, but it's all through the hormonal upregulation, the pathways that's triggered, basically. Yeah, which makes makes sense, especially like say passively, you still have an effect from it because it's not necessarily the the motor recruitment then it's the the hormonal effect so yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah. um and you've, you've kind of talked about setting up and and the kind of pressures and things like that and compared to to cuffs but what and, and you've you've obviously done the research to show it's safe but are there any other safety considerations w when using it yeah absolutely so i'm just going to touch base on kind of the safety embedded into this because i don't think I, I did it justice before just so the viewers can understand so with the Hydro Techwear, what we've done is we place the straps at the very most proximal point of the limb, and that's to ensure that the occlusive stimulus is in the correct location every single time you use it. And that's one of the issues with current cuffs, because for safety, it has to be in the right location or you can cause ischemic nerve damage. So the fact that this is already in the right location is a massive tick for safety, because you can be sure that an athlete wearing it has it in the right place without having to mess around. And I also touched base on the kind of fact that the strap is, is the correct width, or I say correct, there's obviously a range of widths, of strap widths used in the literature and cuff widths used in the literature. But what we have done is we've tried to make sure that the upper body and the lower body are different, that the sufficient surface area to cause a significant um, stress to the muscle without causing pain or damage to the, to the muscle, whilst making it comfortable as well. So that was a really important consideration of our garments. Um, now, in terms of kind of contraindications of blood flow restriction training and the safety from that angle, it's actually no more um, dangerous. It's exactly the same as resistance exercise training. It's exactly the same contraindications. The one that people always question is blood clots, which for obvious reasons, you're stopping blood flow into the arm. They think about blood clots. Now, BFR actually improves your endothelial cell function. So it improves the elasticity of the endothelial cells and it allows your vascular system to improve essentially. And it's slightly tangential, but that's one of the reasons we're going to start looking at it for rehabilitation after heart attacks. So this isn't professional sports, okay. but we're going to use Hytro BFR to rehab people from home after heart attacks because of its ability to improve vascular, uh, yeah, vascular function. So in terms of blood clots, What's important to know is, do you have a blood clot or do you have a history of blood clots in the family? Because if you do, then this is dangerous because of course, if you move a blood clot and it travels somewhere else in the body, that's when we have it, uh, complications. But that's also true for resistance exercise. If you move a blood clot, no matter what exercise you're doing, it's very dangerous. In fact, you know, you know, we see deaths from that. So it's just a natural fit, isn't it? You think about blood flow restriction training, you think blood clots, but realistically, you're actually improving your vascular function and there's no greater danger than resistance exercise. So yeah, that, that would be the main contraindication. Then of course, extreme hypertension. Again, you shouldn't be exercising anyway. If you, you know, you're right at the top of that hypertension um, level. Um, otherwise, it's just the very simple things like metal work in situ, you know, have you had, have you got an open wound, have you got any metal work in the limb that you're occluding, silly things like that, that you would check with your GP before doing blood flow restriction training, but there is no inherent danger above and beyond resistance exercise with BFR. 
yeah, and, and and like you said, there's there's contraindications to, to everything essentially if you sure. if you break it down too much. But um, the adaptations you get from it kind of outweigh the the risks of if you're in the healthy category. So um, again, little break from BFR. This is another question we ask all the all the guests: is what advice would you give to an up, upcoming strength coach? And it might be you might work with with you know SNC coaches or, or advice for how to them to deliver nutrition stuff um, from your perspective. Gosh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, it's or even I mean, you, you talked about you know working as a consultant. How how might that? Yeah, you know, that experience benefit them or or advice because it doesn't happen that much, but there are more kind of SNC consultants sort of coming about how that might yeah might help them. Yeah, I was actually just about to touch on that because I think that's probably where most of the benefits of my foresight may, may lay. So, our insights, sorry, not foresight. So, yeah, in a consultancy capacity, as I mentioned before, what's really important is understanding the environment that you're working in, and it can be so different in every environment. So it's easy to fall into that bubble of the club that you're working in at present and expect any club in rugby union, for example, is the same. They're not, the, the athletes you're working with are individuals, they're completely different people. And it's all well and good having all the scientific knowledge and, and credibility behind you and everything in your head. If you can't deliver that information in a, in a manner that's received and digested by the individual you're speaking to, it's completely pointless. So it doesn't matter if you understand all the physiology behind you know strength testing if you can't articulate that to your uh, your cohort of athletes or that individual it's almost pointless so what i would suggest or, or recommend everyone do is really just spend the time at the beginning to get to know people as best you can or to get to understand group dynamics you know who in that group is kind of the senior authority who do you need to go to to get your message disseminated to the rest of the group and quite early on, I learned at Munster, for example, there was a few key individuals, for example, Paul O'Connell, that if I needed the team to know something, and it was, I was finding it difficult to get cut through as a 23-year-old 10 years ago, I'd go, to, I'd go to Paul. I'd say, look, Paul, this is really important for the game at the weekend that we you know, manage their nutrition strategy moving into it. And it's really, really important we get this information out there, but they probably won't listen to me right now. I'm fresh in the door. Um, British over in Ireland can sometimes be a bit abrasive as well so Paul was really helpful for me you know and so were other senior members of that team so it's really just finding it's finding your feet in the club in terms of your relationship building I think is the most important thing that you can you can do as a young practitioner moving in and just being open to learning from other disciplines too so, so blood flow restriction training is not I know we're not going into that right now but it's not that's not my forte it's not it's not what I did a PhD in. However, by working in a multidisciplinary team, I was learning from every other practitioner. I was learning from the medical department. I was learning from the physios, from the coaching staff. Uh, but what you might find is some clubs are quite disjointed. You know, some of the clubs I've worked with are fantastic. Every day we have a meeting together with every department and we knew what everyone was up to. There's other clubs that are completely disengaged from each other and you do not know what they're doing. You don't know what they're up to. Now, the beauty of my job as a consultant is I could actually jump between, you know, coming in one or two days a week, I was able to one day say, right, I'm going to go sit with the physios today. I want to understand what they're doing with these five players so that I can implement my practice properly. Whereas if you're full-time in a club and it's quite disjointed like that, it's very difficult to have synergy in your work. So I guess my advice really is build them relationships and understand who to speak to, how to speak to them and when to speak to them and, and in what, with what demeanor, you know, and 
the, the very final example I gave it before is if you can take a guy out for a coffee, that will get you miles beyond anything you can achieve in a gym or in the changing room because it's a completely different environment and you really they buy into you as a person, which is quite important yeah. for them to, to get them to do what you want them to do. So yeah, it's just build them relationships. You should already have the knowledge. You should already have that prerequisite, that information in your head to be, you know, to blow everyone out of the water education-wise in the club. That's fine. But how would you apply it? That's really no, that, that's great advice. Um, and are there any uh, books or resources you recommend to upcoming strength coaches, maybe to learn more about BFR or nutrition? What, what would you suggest? Well, I've got plenty of journals. In terms of books, um, I, <laughs> I couldn't tell you any books at the moment. I only read articles and journals and publications right. online, but we, I could throw together, if it's helpful, instead of listing them out here, I could throw together a kind of a, a reference list that there will be. Yes, that'd be cool. Lessons. That'd be really good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the most beneficial way to do it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so, yeah, then back back to BFR and Hytro. What what's the kind of plan for Hytro? You looking to get involved with more teams, and and where's the other research looking to lead to in the future? Yeah, so we're just kind of building building out our elite clubs at the moment. We've um, we've had we've been in quite a fortunate position because of my career to date in pro sports that I've managed to pull a lot of strings and pull in a lot of very you know, top practitioners in the field. I think some of them have actually been on your podcast, uh, Jamie. So Don Noonan and, you know, okay. Pete McKnight. Yeah. So they're all actually involved with Hytro now. So because they understand the credibility behind the products, because they understand the science and the potential of this and how we can infiltrate professional sports, we have a team of 12 experts now that are on board with us, um, PhDs, physios, GPs, which is really fantastic. And it's opened doors for research, uh, for clubs. And again, it's really building out the networks, like I just mentioned in pro sports. If you build that network, you'll do well in that club or in other, other clubs in the future. We're doing exactly the same thing with Hytro now. We're building that network to create that credibility, to do the studies, to put forward the case studies, to then really breach the, the consumer market. So professional sports, it's fantastic. It's where my passions lay. It's where I've been for the whole of my you know, career. However, for a lucrative business, we need to go consumer. So what we're using professional sports for is first to tick that box of, you know, let's help professional athletes, you know, get them one, two, three percenters on the recovery, the performance. But then we need to apply that to consumer and say, right, we've got Cristiano Ronaldo. We've got him quicker. We've got him stronger because he's used Hytro BFR. Disclaimer, Cristiano Ronaldo is not using Hytro BFR. But <laughs> he might, he might. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows in the future? Um, yeah, but the point being, we're obviously going for a business model, we're going for the consumer, but we needed that, that segment of yeah. the pie at the beginning to go into sports. And that's really working, you know, we're speaking to the EIS, we're speaking to England Rugby, uh, all, all the network we have through the expert panels, that's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it really is going to be consumer facing down the line. But the exciting thing for me is the medical aspect, really. And we don't want to run before we can walk. We don't want to chew off more than we can, but the applications medically are absolutely phenomenal. So I mentioned earlier, we're doing some research actually with Liverpool University on heart attack rehabilitation. So practical rehabilitation using HydroTechWare from home. So that's something that's big in hospitals. You know, you have to keep them in for, for a long time to make sure they're okay yeah. to go home. Now, if you start to rehab them and actually rehab them physiologically from the inside, that's really impressive. That's, that's, a, that's a fantastic outcome. And that is just one aspect of the medical arm of this. We can look at because it improves vascular function, it should hypothetically improve brain function. It should hypothetically improve so many things like 
AIDS and HIV patients, COPD, diabetes, any kind of muscle, muscular dystrophy, anything like that, um, this, this product will help. Now, again, a big caveat is BFR does all of these things. It's not Hytro, it's BFR. But what Hytro has achieved is we've made it accessible and really easy for people to, to use it and utilize it at any time they wish. And yeah. it's comfortable. It looks far cooler than the cuffs that you've got with wires hanging off and you can't really carry around in the gym and sit on a bike with wires hanging everywhere. You know, it's, it's just so simple. Yeah. It's an elegant solution to their problems. Yeah, definitely. No, that's, that's really exciting. And uh, like I've, I've, I've done it myself and I've seen it happen where, you know, people get putting bands around and you don't know the exact pressure and it's not the right place and, you know, trying to get the same effect. And this obviously makes it safe, makes it practical. Um, it, it just makes a lot of sense. So it's, um, yeah, you're on, you're on something really cool. So um, lastly, Warren, where can people learn more about you? Uh, about Hytro. So just head to the website, www.hytro.com. We have the, the typical social media platform. So Instagram is at Hytro underscore. Uh, and our Twitter is Hytro, at Hytro Training. But yeah, head to the website. There's a, there's a lot of education pieces on there, some good blogs, a lot of science, some literature for those of you who are interested in a bit more of a deep dive into the science uh, and the team are always happy as well to, you know, if you, if you get onto customer services, we're always happy to book in a call and have a chat with customers as well. So, you know, it's a very friendly, it's a very friendly company. We're trying to be very engaging with customers. So anything you want to know, please just get in touch. Oh, that's cool. And of course we'll share all, all those links uh, in the show notes, but uh, just to wrap up Warren, thanks. Thanks for your time and sharing, you know, about your, your career and, and about um, Hytro and yeah, I think you're onto, onto something really good. So be excited to see kind of your research coming out and, and seeing the product um, around the place. I'm sure I will. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jamie. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat today. Yeah. So. yeah it's been great talking to you. Cheers. Cheers, Jamie. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you, Warren. Great to talk to you, um, you know, to share your experience uh, on nutrition work and rugby players and, of course, uh, what you work on now with blood flow restriction and and hydro. Uh, and, guys, uh, Warren's kindly offered listeners to the podcast a discount of 20% on their um, BFR techwear tops that they've got at the moment and they're bringing out the shorts shortly no pun intended um and uh, that code is renegade 20 all capitals uh, and of course you can get access to that at hytro.com uh, renegade 20 all capitals uh, in the meantime guys please subscribe to us on soundcloud uh, stitcher itunes spotify whatever you use for your podcast and of course give us a five-star review and keep checking us out for more content articles on rugby performance training at rugbyrenegade.com until next time Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.